speaking. My name's Chris Ryan. I'm going to be your host this afternoon. We're going to have a very interesting conversation with a young lady named Mandy. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, I'm back from a week on Star Island, which is a little Unitarian getaway about 10 miles off the coast of New Hampshire. Cassie and I were there for a week. If you don't know about Unitarians, check them out. They are sort of the homegrown Buddhists of the United States. I think um, Ralph Waldo Emerson was a Unitarian and Thoreau and a bunch of um, sort of smart, cool American intellectuals of the 19th century. And I've got to say, they are some really nice people. Uh, I am a bit, as you know, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. And um, hanging out with those people for a week gave me hope for our species, Um, or at least, you know, made me stop um, assuming that we're all fuck-ups. Because there are some really good people there, healthy, kind families, and it's a place where people with kids bring their kids because the kids can run around like maniacs on this island and nobody really needs to worry about it. Um, and there are people, they're sort of a teenage uh, core there watching the kids a lot of the time and taking care of other stuff. And uh, so I was the theme speaker, which means that every morning people got up, had breakfast, and then went and sat in this room and listened to me droning on about my whatever it is that I wanted to drone on about. Uh, I was a bit uh, flummoxed at the beginning because I th- I was under the impression that it was going to be um, – you know, me and 20 hippies sitting in a circle talking about our dreams or whatever. And instead, there were probably 100 100 plus people every morning. So it wasn't, I couldn't really do the hangout and chat thing, uh, which meant that suddenly I had to come up with a lot more material than I had planned. So that was a little stressful, but it was balanced by the fact that uh, I was on this amazing, beautiful island Uh, surrounded by wonderful people and um, so it was exhausting and nourishing at the same time and uh, great thanks to any of you who are listening to this any new podcast listeners that I picked up from Star Island welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for your generosity and kindness it was uh, something I'll never forget something Kisilda and I will both never forget speaking for her this week's episode is a very, uh, I would say it's an important conversation uh, I had uh, two days ago when we were flying out of Boston. I stopped to uh, visit a woman named Mandy, who I've known through email for a while, and we've got some mutual friends, but I'd never met her in person. And I think I'll just leave it at that. You'll hear why this is important. You'll hear what kind of person she is and what her life is like in this conversation. Uh, and honestly, I don't want to uh, to dilute it by talking about it. It's It's important on many different ways. It sheds light on cutting-edge research that should be done, but probably is not being done, certainly not to the extent that um, is merited. 
um, using uh, hallucinogens to uh, heal diseases that conventional medicine sees as incurable. Uh, it's about displacement. It's about what kind of people become natural-born healers. Woody Harrelson should make a movie called Natural Born Healers. I think that would be pretty interesting. And if anybody can get word to him, I'll bet he'd be up for it. Um, before I, I forget, let me just say Mandy mentions her brother and some bullshit uh, in her relationship with her brother. And after we talked, she sent me an email and said, listen, could you just insert something there um, saying that, you know, maybe I'm being a little unfair that my brother and my other brother and my father and everybody else is just doing the best they can. So uh, you're going to hear some pretty heavy stuff, um, but she wanted you to know that um, she uh, forgives them and, and understands the sorts of challenges that uh, that can lead people to do things that are thoughtless and cruel and uh, and that cause a lot of pain. But generally, people who are causing pain are in pain themselves, as uh, as we've all seen over and over again in our lives. Now, in addition to being the uh, the guest on this week's conversation, Mandy also handles uh, the um, sponsorships, lining up sponsorships for the podcast. So all these new sponsors you've been hearing, the underwear and this and that, uh, that's all thanks to Mandy's uh, incredible work. So I need to make sure I do a good job on the sponsors or she'll get pissed off and the whole thing will turn into a big mess. So I'm really excited uh, this week to be sponsored by OutdoorTech.com, a company that specializes in mountain-tested portable power. Damn, that's hard to say. Uh, And wireless audio that works for rugged terrain and in the office. So wherever you're living your life, whether it's at the top of a mountain or in the depths of a cubicle, uh, this stuff can be very useful for you. They offer free shipping, and if you use the code CIVILIZED, you'll get another 10% off your entire order. So you get free shipping, and then you get 10% off the whole damn order, not just one or two things. Uh, so check these guys out. They have really smart, creative, quality equipment for anyone who's into being portable and wireless and you know to be able to take stuff outside. They've got a shock and water-resistant power bank that's super lightweight, and can charge your smartphone three times or fully charge a tablet. So if you take that camping with you, you got twice as much um, electricity for your to charge up your doodads. Although, I don't know if you really want to take your doodads camping, but that's up to you. They also just came out with a second pair of wireless headphones, um, or if you've already got headphones you really like, they've got an adapter that'll turn any device into a wireless Bluetooth device. They also have um, this brand new wireless speaker, which they actually sent me. It's called the Turtle Shell 2.0. This thing is fucking cool. It is shockproof, water-resistant, Bluetooth speaker. Sounds great. It feels great. It's that sort of rubberized feeling. I, I don't know what that material is, but it just feels good in your hand, you know? It's it's like uh, not... It doesn't slip. It's not it's not plasticky. It feels great. It feels like expensive leather or something. I don't know what it is. Anyway, it also has a built-in mic. Uh, it streams crystal clear for up to 32 feet, and the battery lasts 16 hours. So we're talking about an all-night party till dawn. Those of you who are at Burning Man, 
Right now, as I'm recording this, it's too damn late to take one with you, but maybe next year. Um, Anyway, so what else was I saying? Hang it from a tree, mount it on your bike, take it to the beach, use it to crank some tunes, or use it to make some serious conference calls. It even comes in eight colors and looks cool and feels solid. So experience some sonic freedom by going to OutdoorTech.com and use the code CIVILIZED to get 10% off in addition to free shipping. And as always, I'd love to hear what you think of this stuff. Um, If you have bad experiences, good experiences, whatever, please feel free to drop me a line through Twitter, through the websites. However, there are lots of ways to get in touch with me. So uh, I do want to hear about this stuff because if we're being sponsored by somebody that you're not happy with, then we're going to cancel the sponsorship. And if you are happy with the stuff, then they're going to want to hear about that. And I'm going to want to hear about that, and we'll keep the sponsorship. So feedback is much appreciated. This episode is also sponsored by Audible. You really should check them out. you got nothing to lose. You get the free one-book download. uh, You get a 30-day trial. And if you decide not to continue your membership, you cancel, keep your book. So that's a way to get a free book if nothing else just go to audibletrial.com slash sex at dawn that's audibletrial.com slash sex at dawn and you get your uh you get your free book check them out they've got thousands 150,000 titles or more of course sex at dawn is available um Many other books are available, including uh, some books by Gabor Mate, who we'll be talking about in this episode. The reason Gabor Mate is is relevant to this um, is that his, he's a, an addiction specialist. He's a medical doctor uh, who believes that addiction and many diseases are... Um, a response to trauma, to psychological trauma, to pain. People who can't resolve their pain try to deaden it, and addictive behavior is one of the ways they do that. I'm probably butchering the theory that's very, very simplified. Um, But he's a very insightful man, um, very open-hearted, which is even more difficult when you think of the kind of work he's been doing, the kind of... um, pain that he's been exposing himself to all these years. He works in Vancouver, primarily in the sort of skid row section of Vancouver. So he's working with hardcore heroin addicts and and other um, sort of down and out folks. And, um, you know, pain is a field. Pain is a cloud. Pain, like happiness, is something that you can't really observe without getting it all over yourself. And uh, that's why I've got incredible respect for people like Gabor Mate, like my wife Casilda, like so many of the doctors and and non-untrained healers I've known over the years, people who willingly put their own comfort at risk in order to try to alleviate some of the suffering they see around them. It's It's a pretty amazing thing. So let's listen to a sample of uh, one of uh, Gabor Mate's books called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, 
Close Encounters with Addiction. You can get this book on uh, audible.com. And I see it's a special price of only $3.99. Wow, four books for this audiobook. Or, what did I say four books? Four bucks for this audiobook. Um, and, uh, you know, save your free book for one of the more expensive ones. Like he's got another just below it. I see when the body says no, exploring the stress disease connection, that's 36 bucks. So you get that on your free, free book and then pay four bucks for the, in the realm of the hungry ghost, which is a great book, by the way, as, as you'll hear, it's full of very interesting, um, moving anecdotes. Anyway, this is the sample of In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. Go to audibletrial.com slash sex at dawn. Cockroaches occasionally drop out from shaken skirts and pant legs in my office and scurry for cover under my desk. I like having one or two mice around, one young man told me. They eat the cockroaches and bedbugs but I can't stand a whole nest of them in my mattress. Vermin, boils, blood, and death. The plagues of Egypt. In the downtown east side, the angel of death slays with shocking alacrity. Marcia, a 35-year-old heroin addict, had moved out of her PHS residence and was living in a tenement half a block away. One morning, I received a frantic phone call about a suspected overdose. I found Marcia in bed, her eyes wide open, lying on her back and already in rigor mortis. Her arms were extended, palms outward in a gesture of alarmed protest, as if to say, No, you've come to take me too soon. Much too soon. Plastic syringes cracked under my shoes as I approached her body. Marcia's dilated pupils and some other physical cues told the story. She died not of overdose, but of heroin withdrawal. I stood for a few moments by her bedside, trying to see in her body the charming, if always absent-minded, human being I had known. As I turned to leave, wailing sirens signaled the arrival of emergency vehicles outside. Marcia had been in my office just the week before, in good cheer, asking for help with some medical forms she needed to fill out to get back on welfare. It was the first time I'd seen her in six months. During that period, as she explained with nonchalant resignation, she had helped her boyfriend Kyle blow through a $130,000 inheritance, a process selflessly aided by many other user friends and hangers-on. For all that popularity, she was alone when death caught her. Another casualty was Frank, a reclusive heroin addict who would grudgingly let you into his cramped quarters at the Regal Hotel only when he was very ill. No fucking way I'm dying in hospital, he declared, once it became clear that the Grim Reaper AIDS was knocking at his door. There was no arguing with Frank about that or anything else. He died in his own ragged bed, but his bed, in 2002. Frank had a sweet soul that his curmudgeonly abrasiveness could not hide. Although he never talked to me about his life experience, he expressed the gist of it in Downtown Hellbound Train, a poem he wrote a few months before his death. It is a requiem for himself and for the dozens of women, drug users, sex trade workers, 
said to have been murdered at the infamous Picton Pig Farm outside Vancouver. Went downtown, Hastings and Maine, looking for relief from the pain. All I did was find a one-way ticket on a hell-bound train. On a farm not far away, several friends were taken away. Rest their souls from the pain, end their ride on the hell-bound train. Give me peace before I die. The track is laid out so well. We all live our private hell. Just more tickets on the hellbound train. Hellbound train. Hellbound train. One-way ticket on a hellbound train. Having worked in palliative medicine, care of the terminally ill, I have encountered death often. In a real sense, addiction medicine with this population is also palliative work. We do not expect to cure anyone, only to ameliorate the effects of drug addiction and its attendant ailments, and to soften the impact of the legal and social torments our culture uses to punish the drug addict. While that was playing, I, I was reading the, um, the summary of it, and I noticed that it's narrated by Daniel Mate, uh, who I'm guessing is Gabor's son, but I'm not sure. But in any case, he did a really nice job. Um, so that's in the realm of Hungry Ghosts. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by My Package. You all know about My Package. It's a bucket seat for your balls. Incredibly comfortable underwear for men. Holds your balls as if they were diamonds. The Hope Diamonds cupped in this amazing, absorbent, elastic, soft, wonderful material. So if you're in the market for some high-end underwear, if your junk is worth that kind of change, they're not cheap. I'm not saying they're cheap. They're like 20, 22 bucks each or something like that, somewhere in that range. But they are top of the line, no doubt about it. So check them out. The weekday ones have a slightly uh, narrower elastic band, a waistband. And the weekend ones have like a big, thick uh, waistband. I'm not sure really what the difference is. I, I think it's just how snug you like them around your waist. Um, but they're kind of like boxer briefs, you know. They're, they're very nice. They're very nice. And I don't know if we're still running this uh, this special, but nobody sent me any pictures of themselves in, our, in their My Package underwear. I know you've gone and bought some because they told us people are coming from our site and buying them, but um, using sex at checkout. Uh, but uh, you're not sending me photos, but that's all right. I can understand why you don't want to send photos to me. That's kind of creepy. I'm not even gay. I mean, what's the point? Uh, anyway, it's my package, uh, com. Enter sex at checkout and you get a chance to get an extra pair for yourself or someone you love. So uh, that's it for the sponsor. Now, one other thing I did want to say this week, though, is that if you've noticed that the sound levels are a little better on these podcasts recently, I know some of you have written to complain that they were a little too quiet or a little weird in some way in the past that's because i'm a fuck up and i didn't really know how to do this and strange i mean i i got into this weird thing where a guy sent me advice on how to to produce this 
Um, but he was assuming that I was recording in GarageBand, which I wasn't at that point. I was recording on this other device and then importing it. So the advice he gave me would have been really good if I had been doing that. But since I wasn't, it ended up just mm, sort of making a mess. And it took me a few months to work that out. Um, so I apologize for that. It's, you know, I'm learning on the job here, folks. But uh, anyway, recently a guy named uh, Danny Osment has been helping me out. He's got a website, Emerald City Pro, Emerald, like the the jewel, emeraldcitypro.com. And he does recording, editing, mixing, and mastering of audio for music podcasts, streaming video, audiobooks, all that sort of thing. Um, So if you are in need of any of that kind of work, I can recommend Danny to you at emeraldcitypro.com. He, he's not charging me anything. He just likes the podcast and likes to be able to hear it. So he uh, I send him the masters and he fiddles with them and makes them better. And so everybody's happy. Uh, he didn't do this week's because I just recorded it two days ago and it's gone up already. So this week's is uh, completely my fault. But the other ones that sound good, that's because of Danny. So uh, if you need any of that sort of help, uh, drop him a line. He's at emeraldcitypro.com. Without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Mandy. Uh, hope you enjoy it as much as I did, and uh, we'll probably continue with her down the road. I got a feeling this is the beginning of a wonderful friendship. Thanks. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Think about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Alright, I am sitting here in Brookline Is it Brookline or Brooklyn? Brookline Brookline, Mass Which, as far as I can tell, is Boston But people tell me it's different somehow there must be some street that divides Brookline from Boston. Yeah, it's uh, Brookline has its own. <clears throat> Brookline is kind of like the it's the Cambridge of the other side of Boston. Ah, it's, the other uh, Cambridge. Yeah, it's kind of the other Cambridge, except we don't have a university here. It's just where all the professors live. Oh, and sweet. So, yeah. All right, good. So I'm here with Professor Mandy, <laughs> uh, and uh, strange situation in some ways. Because you and I have known each other for a year? I don't know how maybe long we've known each maybe other. Maybe closer to two years. Really? There. Really? Yeah. And it started because you, I had a friend of yours on the podcast, and so you heard about the podcast, and then you wrote to me. I don't remember. Do you remember well, the initial? Well, actually, um, Baron, who's been on the podcast, uh, he caught your interview your second interview on Duncan Trussell's podcast, uh-huh. and he said you should you should listen to this conversation, and it really was pretty mind it was pretty mind blowing to me um, because I had never I've never actually come into contact with someone who I thought was capable of being a serious intellectual um, in the sense of coming from an academic standpoint but also being open to spirituality I hadn't I hadn't um, seen that it's always been these sort of you know either you're into butterflies and fairy dust or you're a cold rationalist you know Richard mm. Dawkins type and so it was it's interesting for me to to 
to see that in someone and and also that was just a great conversation you guys had anyway um, but he told you know he told me to listen to it and then of course we knew you were having a podcast and after you had interviewed you know Andrew Weil and then Gabor Mate uh, I decided to uh, to reach out because I was getting very close <clears throat> to euthanizing at that time and uh, but I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop. Um, and so as sort of a last ditch effort, um, I reached out because I thought maybe you had some sort of connections or in your travels that you had seen some really interesting healing situations because you hear about, you know, <clears throat> miracles, uh, which we call spontaneous remission. Um, you hear about them happening in the modern day, um, mm. just not here. And um, sometimes you hear it here, but more often in other cultures. And and since we have a tendency, I think as Americans, to discount what happens in other cultures with other systems of medicine. Um, yeah, I just I thought that maybe you would you would maybe know something. <clears throat> and I've been searching. And when I first got sick. I had a lot of friends, not a lot, but I had a few friends, you know, tell me that this was a psycho-emotional thing, spiritual issue. What's the name of the disease we're talking about? Um, I have an autoimmune disease called scleroderma, which is uh, pretty awful. I mean, it's just a real, it's sort of a sister to lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, but uh it's basically where your connective tissue sort of hardens and becomes scar tissue. Mm -hmm. And um, it attacks your hands, so you lose your hands first, typically. And your entire body slowly hardens and becomes mummified, and it begins, it be your, your skin begins to become a pair of spanks. And um, when it hits your organs, you die. Yeah. And does it affect your cognition in this process, or are you sharp as you go through this? Well, it can, but um, it's been a bit of a blessing and a curse that that's been kind of the one thing I was able to keep, you know? I mean, mm. I, I actually thought a lot about Stephen Hawking and, you know, just not having a body. It's, uh, mm. it's It really makes you realize how much you identify with your body. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, so I had to relearn how to how to walk, um, which I did in a in a therapy pool. Um, Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I just to, for this part of the interview, I yeah. think it would be good to have it sort of linear, yeah, so people sure. know exactly what we're talking. How old are you now? I'm thirty four. Thirty four. Yeah. And you were diagnosed when? I was diagnosed when I was thirty one, but it hit when I was thirty. Okay. It took me six months to figure out what I had. Really? Yeah. Uh, six months of going to doctors after giving doctors a chance to figure out what I had really it's not something they can diagnose relatively rapidly it's not something that's common enough for them to think of I think really yeah and so they they had me on all these medications for rheumatoid arthritis and it just wasn't helping and so someone an old old lady who's kind of a, a bit of a mystical person told me you have to be your own doctor yeah and I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. I've been me for much longer than these doctors have been even studying yeah. medicine, you know, a lot of them. So um, 
Yeah, and so I started doing my own research and I went in to see a new rheumatologist and she had me get every blood test under the sun. And I said, how about testing me for scleroderma? Can we do that? And that's the one oh. that came back positive. And they hate that. <laughs> They hate that. Like, oh, you, you know, oh, little, you've been Googling, yeah. have you, you cute little patient? <laughs> you little WebMD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't like that, especially yeah. when you're right. So that came back positive, and this was, you said, six months after you were after feeling. After the onset, yeah. So what was the onset like? Was that pain or I woke, awkwardness? I woke up one morning, and I couldn't get out of bed. It was I was just in so much pain. Just pain, just, just overall so body pain? pain? Yeah, everywhere. It was nerve pain. It was just extreme weakness. Um, you know, I felt like I was a 500-pound person. Wow. You know, and I'm, I'm a small Asian girl, you You're know. You're 30 years old. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I had sort of <clears throat> just gotten on my feet uh, from a, an unusual life, and I, I had sort of just arrived at, at the fruits of my labor. Tell and us about that your unusual life well um i was adopted by evangelicals who uh i grew up in a pretty idyllic setting in uh, morgan hill california which was aptly named paradise valley paradise Um, valley nice yeah and um but when i was 13 um my parents moved me to arkansas so and your adoptive parents yes right because you were um I was adopted when I was 14 months old. 14 months old. Yeah. Okay. In Korea? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then I, I was in Arkansas, and I experienced a great deal of racism and a great deal of homophobia there. Uh, lots of death threats, things like that. So uh, the Ferguson, Ferguson stuff's really resonating with me right now uh, because right. I I know, what it, I know what the South is like, and it's not pretty, you know? I, I, I'm not a... Fr- a, a a fan of some of the populations in the projects and I'm also not a fan of the police it's just a messy thing so it was it's it's an odd thing because I have an outsider point of view yeah when it comes to that stuff because I have white parents who didn't get it and then I had black gay friends who were treated like you know straight <laughs> black guys right. and uh, when I was with my white friends I was treated like the black person and when I was with <laughs> the black people I was treated You're like the, the white, white person because yeah. listen to me you know I was a good spokesperson for the group. Right. So, um, but yeah, so that was a, that was a mess. And, um, but being a girl did kind of help me in a way because my gay guy friends got the crap beat out of them. I mean, we were in a Matthew Shepard situation waiting to happen, but I got out of that. And then luckily I kept it together enough to do well in school. And then I came up to go to Boston University, but I had no guidance. So I studied philosophy wait a minute you're Asian that's easy yeah right it's super easy (laughs) I I should I should just interject to say that one of the lines of our email friendship is that I say offensive things because I know you'll uh, correct me but also know my intentions are not offensive and it's nice to I mean you scold me sometimes but it's it's nice to uh, be able to have these dialogues with you and, and neither one of us get too pissed off at least as far as yeah, I can tell yeah. yeah yeah so anyway if I say some you know some offensive thing like it's easy because you're Asian mm. you know our audience should know how to take that I'm, I'm joking yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah well that was an interesting thing too because one of the reasons I think that I performed well was because that was the racism in my household that 
my dad was always telling me I was smarter than the rest of the family because I was Asian. And, and then I was. And I don't know if that's a natural thing, but you know, my, I have two much older white brothers mm -hmm. and my dad worked for IBM. And so he, when I was five, we had our first home computer. He brought a little computer. You had to put in a cartridge and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And no one was allowed to touch that computer but me. Really? Yeah, for like the first week. <laughs> because I, as an Asian person, have a spiritual connection with this <laughs> machine. And so, like, naturally, I became the person in the house that was That's best funny. with computers just because I was a kid. Yeah. You know? But, uh, but yeah, so I, I benefited from this weird reverse inside out Mobius strip yeah. you know, yeah. racism You're that right. I it's way It's way more complicated you know? than reverse. Yeah, so yeah. I come from this kind of dipshit family and, um, you know, but I ended up uh, going to BU and then, um, and then I ended up working at Harvard and I started my own little business. I worked for a, kind of a fancy pants guy at Harvard. Not Steven Pinker. And, uh, no, but he almost became a client of mine, but I just didn't find him so tasteful as a person. Oh, well, that's good to know. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I keep gunning for Steven Pinker. I wish he would respond. Uh, He'll fall for it one yeah, of these days. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, but, yeah, no, I worked for a guy uh, in the same building, and... Um, and I was starting to do quite well, and then um, and then I went hiking. I got bitten by a tick, and two weeks later, couldn't move. Oh, so this is related to Lyme disease in some sense? It's it was triggered by I I believe it was triggered by one of the infections that ticks can can carry. Really? One of which is Lyme disease, possibly. So is I'm sorry, the name again? Scler Scleroderma. Scleroderma. I know. I wish they would come up with a better name. Scleroderma. Right. Um, now, does this is this a genetic thing? That's, that's, is there any family? It's an autoimmune disease. Autoimmune, and it's not so, doesn't run in families. Who well, knows? Ca Cass, Cassie's here, who and knows? you know people can hear you giggling in the background and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> feel okay. free, feel free to chime in if you if there's something that you wanted to say. Yeah, about genetic. Yeah, about the disease or the diagnosis Just leave it or anything on. It's like fine. that. Yeah. Okay. I only saw one patient in my life with scleroderma. Mm. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And they died, right? Yeah. 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 Everyone, it's so funny in my path, everyone's yeah. like, oh, I, yeah, I had an aunt or I knew, you know, I, met, I knew of someone, and it's always like, and they died, right? Yeah. 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 So, which I don't, which is why I don't understand why it's not considered to be a terminal illness. Because it kills everybody, it kills us all, except for like the rare few that get a miracle. And what's and the what what's the the uh, prognosis upon diagnosis? The prognosis. I think it's, it's 15, reserved, years. Very 15 reserved. years. Yeah, fifteen years, and like seventy percent make it past ten years. When it started to affect the organs, you're done. It's that. over. Yeah. It's over. Really. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we were talking about the extent to which. Uh, Scleroderma yeah. is uh, is potentially what you, you thought it may have been triggered by this encounter with a tick. Yeah, I think that's sort of the 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 last straw right. of it. But I think that I'd actually been managing symptoms of it for a long time uh, yeah. um, that I obviously didn't really recognize until right. I had the full shebang. Now you 
At some point, you were a stand-up comic, right? Yes, I did some stand-up comedy um, in my mid-twenties, and that's how I met all these crazy <laughs> were people. Were you in L.A.? Or you, no, That was here, here in Boston. Yeah. Uh. Boston's kind of a breeding ground. A lot of really famous comics. Like Louis C.K., I right. you know, he's a Newton guy. And, right. Uh, Jim Norton, you know, a lot right. of... Lot Rogan's of, Rogan's too, a Boston right? guy, yep. Yeah. Yeah, Boston's a big. It's a it's a friendly environment, mm. and the comedy studio is pretty much the best mm. comedy club in the world. I think. Really? Yeah, I mean, like everyone comes through still and does like twenty minutes. Just you That's know, they just call Rick and say I'm coming by and just gonna do a set. And it's they just haven't changed their their uh, the way they do things. And yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. What, Not, what's your dog's name? His name is Dim Sum. Dim Sum. <laughs> <laughs> is he dim? He, no, he's uh, when I got him, he was the size of a little dim sum. Uh, oh, so, okay, I got you. They're tiny. I got you. Yeah. So if people hear like you know whining in the background, that's not Cassie. That's, that's my dim dog sum. Being happy, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's his happy son. Yeah. <laughs> so, funny name. it is a funny name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, okay, wait. Back to the story now. Yeah. I'm sorry, I've interrupted you so, several times. No, no, no. I'm just trying to think of like. So you asked me if it's genetic and. Um, I have my own theory about autoimmune stuff. Um, when you look at the the when you look at the data, people who tend to get autoimmune disease are women, mm. um, minority women. We get it at a like almost like I think an over double rate. Of, really? Yeah, yeah. And it's a weird thing too because if men get scleroderma, even though it's rarer for a man to get scleroderma, he's probably going to die of it a lot faster. It just kills dudes really quickly. Really? Now, is that across cultures or are you talking about in America? Um, I believe that's across cultures. So, like, white people living in Asia are more likely to get it than Asians, and Asians living in America are more likely oh, to get it Oh, no, than... I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about the male women thing. Oh, um, oh yeah. No, I'm, I, so far as I know, it's just minorities. Black people living in America. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the, it's, and, and when I, my theory of it is, is that white people have, you know, you guys have lived in really toxic environments for a long time and you know you've the ones that weren't going to make it already didn't make it and they didn't reproduce hmm. so i think you guys have different immune systems that are more capable of withstanding whereas my ancestors you know you go back a couple generations and they're in like the fields eating hmm. you know nuts and rice or whatever hmm. um so i think that that's you know it's like you look at the native americans and they just wiped out by the bacteria and the viruses pretty quickly right so I think that it's just us not having um, that's, that sort of defense. I see. Yeah. Okay, so it's not the minority status. It's not uh, you know coming to America and eating the American diet and all that stuff. It's the I, oh, I, I think that's saying. it too because we're not built for that. Especially, I mean, oh yeah, you know, right. French people that's have been toxins, eating cheese right. and everything right. for a long time. They're right. you know Japanese people process seaweed twice as fast as the rest of us. You know, right. our bodies have not. Um, yeah, like the, it's one of the, the ideas that I've run into that seems to be true for me is they just say, eat what your ancestors ate. Hmm. And my ancestors aren't eating what your ancestors ate. Yeah, well, my ancestors were starving in a potato famine. So, well, I'm not a good example <laughs> yeah, of that. Yeah. And drinking beer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which, which explains Which a lot. Asians don't do too, too well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. But yeah, that's kind of my, my theory about it. And I had this idea today about... Um, 
sort of an interesting model for, for treating. Like if I were a billionaire or something, I would try to do. And I thought about how, you know, you look at an industry like the tech industry, and most of the big time coders, they're not like PhDs in whatever. They didn't study computer science at X university. They, they did it on their own, and mm. they did it by pursuing their own interests and just learning what they needed to know. You know, they don't have a survey knowledge. They're not going to know, you know, 101s of every facet of computer science. They're just going to know what they know really, really well, like an right. artist. Right. And I was thinking, you know, the value of doctors certainly having survey knowledge and noticing patterns and, cons you know, inconsistencies and stuff is important. But it would be interesting if, if patients could have, you know, a little bit more access to resources and perform their own experiments because I can guarantee you I know more about scleroderma than a whole lot of doctors and you know I mean I'm I'm not a medical person by any means but this these past four years have really been a grad school for me I yeah. didn't go to grad school I did I've been doing this bullshit right and you know and I'm coming to the same conclusions that Cassie's coming to right. now you know right um and uh so I I, I feel like empowering patients to sort of be their own coders yeah and just pursue obsessively their own particular not, not only patients but their family their friends yeah. anybody i think you're right i think there's you know the the sort of medical guild is so protective of yeah. you they're know gatekeepers. yeah they're yeah. they're incredible yeah. uh, any sort of alternative approach it's to so anything. arrogant but i think like as someone who's suffering from the disease you should get a waiver immediately yeah. like you can do whatever the hell you want yeah, I agree. with your own body mm, right yeah. especially if it's a situation where well yeah i was gonna say if, if it's terminal or whatever but even if it's not terminal yeah. it's your damn body that's yeah exactly you know? yeah and uh yeah and i'm clearly not hurting anyone else right it's kind of impossible for right. me to but yeah so i mean as far as uh, hallucinogens go yeah. or you know whatever i mean if you if if there's uh, an approach that someone thinks will be helpful, yeah. seems to me, especially someone, and again, we get into regulation and all that, but someone who's spent a lot of time and has a lot of intelligence focused on this, mm. you know, it can only, I mean, there, there's some famous story about that. Who was that? That someone's child had a, I think in Australia, was it? That mm. someone's child was suffering from a rare disease and... I don't remember if it's the mother or the father just mm. spent years focused on it and finally yeah. figured out yeah. what it was. Yeah. And the doctors were, no, that can't be it. Wait a minute. Yeah, right. And in the end, that's it what it, yeah. yeah. And now it's, you know, solved or at least understood. But yeah, well, you're certainly right about that. Yeah, and the one thing that I can do that Cassie can't do is I can, I can experiment on a live human subject. Right. And, um... And that's big stuff, you know, and, and if you gave that to, say, like a group of people, you know, you know, pursuing their specific form of cancer or this yeah. or that, that would be pretty interesting. And also to just have an international medical guild of sorts, because one of the things, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'd have to say that the things that I've been doing to make me better, the only things that have really made me better are all illegal here. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad that I studied German because Germany is pretty progressive, you know? They, that's where a lot of homeopathy got its yeah. groundings, but got its groundings in the scientific method, not like, you know, kind of spooky magician stuff. Mm. But My psychiatry really, school is German. 
side. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's they're very, I mean, they really know a lot, you know? Um, yeah. And, and they're very progressive and they do things like ozone therapy, right. which is really big and uh, which the FDA won't let anywhere near here. You know, they do raw milk right therapy oh, they the do raw milk thing i mean is it's insane. like they're sending the swat team in and you've got yeah. a you've got a congressman a guy in congress who used it to cure his lyme disease really he bought a cow and then they came in and arrested that fucking farmer so it's we're, there's really there's really a war against healing hmm. in america and it's done so economically my insurance will pay for anything under the sun except for what i need right you know and what really sort of the interesting thing about because I was like such a straight up atheist nothing after this life person um, before this got started and um, you know and I had the voices I had some friends obviously that were like you know wake up girl this is the seed of your illness here wake up to what wake up to your spiritual energy Uh, you know Um, that's why you're dying physically and and I always thought all that was bullshit and so but what's been very interesting about this journey that I've been on is that I've had a physical barometer in reality to measure my spiritual anything that I've done so you know it doesn't if I hold a crystal in my hand and meditate with it and then if I do that every day and nothing else has changed for like two weeks and I can walk better then that's I've got a physical measurement it's not just me playing with a rock Hmm. you know and I can do these things that are illegal here but legal in other countries and measure my my progress and do you want to specify what they are or should we well, leave that to our listeners imagination no I mean I, I think it's the, the one thing I've always known and this was probably the biggest reason that your conversation with Duncan hit home for me was that I never it never because I was so shamed by it that it never it never occurred to me that I could be using drugs that are illegal for healing purposes really never occurred to me that because it was always you know you're just a stupid pothead and i'm like how am i a stupid pothead killing it at harvard right now you know like how, yeah. it's like how yeah. you how can you completely discount me for you know and um and then actually one of the big changes was when i met mike and i mean he's just so smart it's unbelievable and Mike's another comedian yeah know, yeah. yeah and he um and he was the first person to ever say I'm really into psychedelics. He's the first person who ever told me he's into psychedelics who I didn't think was an idiot or a nut job, uh-huh. you know, because I had only come into contact with people who didn't use it for the right reasons and utilize it properly. Right. And so I was like, oh, so this can go either way. Right. And once I started trying to use marijuana therapeutically um, and taking my experiences with it, more seriously um i i came into contact with a lot of things that i was unable to uh let myself feel before you know i mean one of the things that happened when i got sick was my mother went insane and i lost her so i don't have a family and um it's been really hard to go through this without a mother there's uh you know we talk a lot about privilege but really the biggest privilege in life is having a family, no matter what color or anything, you know? And um, because we're born, what I've learned from the, I, when I, I've taken several journeys with ayahuasca, more than several, um, but I don't have access to a shaman or anything, so I've been kind of fighting the demons on my own. 
And the interesting thing about ayahuasca is that while I'm still on it and it's very active, I can almost run. My body is so different because really? it changes your your nervous system and everything, and then it oh. keeps for a while, and then it, it slides back, but it doesn't slide back as far as it was before. Oh. So it does help you inch up, but it gives you these moments of real like release and physical freedom. Interesting how that corresponds to um, the psychological effects of ayahuasca. Now people say it like gives me a glimpse of this world That's and right. I can't stay in the world yep. but I never forget it. Yep. And so it changes my base point because now mm. my base point includes this glimpse. Yes, right. So yeah, you've seen the promise and you're, land. you're getting that on a physical level. Yes, yeah. So interesting. Have you ever taken MDMA? Not since I've been ill. But in the past, I have, but never pure, so I don't really know. Mm. But I obviously, it's pretty enjoyable. It would be interesting because um, I remember Andrew Weil uh, talking or writing in one of his books about uh, an MDMA experience, and he was at someone's house, and while he was on the MDMA, he went out and he walked across this um, gravel driveway Hmm. that previously he had walked from the car to the house or something and it was like you know one of these situations and he walked across with the MDMA and the stones didn't bother him at all he just walked like he was walking on a carpet Mm -hmm. and he ponders that I think this might might be in the marriage of the sun and the moon and he's like what was going on there you know was my was the sole of my foot somehow you know, monitoring the pressure of each stone and responding appropriately mm. so there was no tissue damage or what, what or was it just that I was so unstressed mm. that I wasn't reacting by contracting muscles on my feet yeah. or you know like he it's very interesting to think about these things like mm. you're talking about the crystal or ayahuasca whatever yeah like this gets us into the question of placebo. Yep. Right? That's right. I'm sure a lot of people listening are thinking, yeah. well, okay, she feels better, but, you know, how do we know that's real? Mm-hmm. What do you think about what's well, real mean in that context? Well, and that's what I'm saying that's so wonderful about having this physical barometer because before the tea, I was in a stretcher going to my doctor's appointments. Really? You know, now, I, now I can walk a mile once a week. I tell you, I met you, you know? at the door. I thought you were the Nepali woman who comes I'm in and takes better. care of yeah. you sometimes. Yeah. You look great. I mean, Baron hasn't seen me, and I haven't seen Baron in over a year and a half, but I'm going to see him soon. And, you know, and it's when it's you, it's like a little kid. It's like if it's your little kid or your puppy, you don't notice it growing because you're there every second right. of the day. But you see someone you haven't seen in a month, and they're like, holy shit. It, it sounds like things are getting better which supposedly isn't supposed to happen right with this right. disease yeah well you know my first i've done the i've done the ayahuasca seven times and uh and i've done it the way you're not supposed to do it i've done it by myself right and um and and so that's been pretty interesting and i wasn't going to but uh i did get some advisement from people who know a lot about the plant and they seem to think that it's better to do it than not do it. Even if, 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 even I was so if you're close on to your the own. End. I was so close to the end, it was like, it doesn't even matter. So, um, <clears throat> so I, and the, th- the thing that was so, the reason that I wanted to talk to you specifically is because you have this literary background. <laughs> and when I, <laughs> and when I look at the course of my life, it's almost like it was written 
in the weirdest way, you know, the guy that I worked for at Harvard, he taught a, he taught a course, and I'm, I never was interested in any medical stuff. I mean, I'm such a literary philosophy nerd. And uh, he taught a really popular course at Harvard called Death and Dying in the USA. What was his name? Nicholas Christakis. He's a big uh, social uh, network guy. Uh, okay. um, you follow his wife on Twitter, actually. Oh, do I? Yeah. Uh, through you? Or? No, you just on your own. Oh, yeah. no idea how that happens. Yeah. Um, she she was the dolphin mother. She came out against the tiger mom. And oh, she kind okay. Of more of a that okay. was kind of her thing. But anyway, right. so he taught this really interesting course, and I learned so much about end of life stuff. Yeah, and then like a year later, I was faced with it all, and uh, you know, a year after sitting in on that class and learning so much about, so I mean, it was very it was a very philosophical course actually. It really surprised me because, you know, he went through disease and how we we don't agree with it on what a disease is. Yeah, you know, it's like back pain is not a disease right. in, in other countries they're right. like you are full of shit get to work Yeah. here it's one of the biggest diseases we have you know yeah. and like what you talk about in Japan you know caro is a disease right. you know the, the cast, male castration fantasy shit yeah. here we're like what the hell is that you know in Japan right. they have nurses hanging on to guys dicks so that they don't shrivel up and go inside their bodies you know I love the, that culturally defined it's disease just, stuff yeah. it's so interesting and so it was interesting we did this thing where he was like okay so it was alcohol a disease right. okay cancer definitely is we all agree on that but it was interesting to see yeah. you know is depression a disease where do we draw that line and we just saw it disintegrate to a meatless oh come on dog come on it's not one thing it's another honestly yeah um uh yeah is chronic stress a disease yeah it was all those things and so and what he did that was interesting was he was like okay so we see the cause of death and it's like lung disease this disease da 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 and then you had this other list he's like let me suggest a different list of cause of disease yeah tobacco alcohol you know uh, and, and so that was an interesting thing and and then I thought I began to think recently about disease as your destination Hmm. So it's like if if like so when I it's kind of like being gay too. It's like such a random way to group people together. Hmm. It's like every group, every demographic group has a gay person. You can't get away from us. You hmm. know, you can be poor in China or rich in right. you know England, and there's gonna be a gay person somewhere in your family. And uh, with disease, it's like I look at all these other people with scleroderma, you know, and then you have Gabor Mate with his theory that there's like definite like per personality correlation, which mm -hmm. people get really upset because they yeah. link it to causation, yeah. which he's not doing, which was kind of funny because when we Skyped, he was kind of, I could tell that he was doing a lot of like, here's my spiel, you know, because like, you're going to get offended or you're going to, and I'm like, no, I'm not one of the stupid ones. You can just talk real to me. So we got So he actually took quickly. time to Skype with you. Yeah. Yeah, That's, he consulted so with me cool. for free and That's just wonderful. yeah, he's a he's an interesting. He's a good yeah. He cuts through pretty quickly. Um, I've never had anybody read me quite that quickly. Really? Yeah, he was very incisive, very uh, perceptive. Um, God, he after I interviewed him, he said something to me about being uh, attention deficit disorder mm -hmm. and a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I look at myself as a lazy, sloppy person. You know, so I don't know. You're saying he's incisive. But the I'm things thinking, that you really care about, you really, it really, it's very important to you that people get your point. It's important to you that yeah. people know that you are not anti-monogamy, that you are making a more complicated argument. So I think you are kind of a, 
when it comes to your your work <laughs> that you can get really you know into. thank you yeah. thank you I still yeah. think I'm lazy and yeah. sloppy no. but yeah no, yeah it's right, it's right. <laughs> but right. I, I think of diseases like that so like I think about okay so if you want to group together everyone with scleroderma yeah right and look for like a cause or whatever mm. it's kind of like grouping everybody in New York City together and being like how do we all get here it's like, well, everybody came by their own path. This just right. happens to be. And on some level, yeah, it is. It does make sense to group us together. But in terms of like, you know, origin, like the the reason, how, the path to how we got there, it's totally different. Yeah, it's almost like is malnutrition a disease? Yeah, right. you know. Well, you could be anorexic, or you could be living in South Sudan. You're both malnourished, yeah. right? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I never thought. Well, about then, and you can, cons- and then you consider also, like, I mean, the thing that the impact that Gabor had on me the most as an adopted person is the idea of how much, how your life, life doesn't begin at birth. It really does begin at conception in the sense of that's when your health begins. It begins before it's conception before, because of epigenetics, right? right? Yeah. You know, it's it, it begins two or three generations back at least. At least, at yeah, least. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, and so. He one of his books in one of his books he talks about um, the popul this whole generation of people in like Poland I think from this one region they all died in their fifties and they all died of like heart attacks and strokes something along those lines mm. and when he looked at this generation they were like what the hell because their parents aren't having this issue and their kids are not having these pulmonary mm. issues and things and what they discovered was all of these people were in their second or third trimester when the Nazis invaded. Ah, the maternal stress. Yeah. Right. And that's why adopted people have such fucked up health because we are we are in and right. we are born into an inherently stressful situation. Right. And um and for me I learned and see this is an interesting this is a story I think that it's, it's this is what I mean by it's almost like someone wrote what my my whole life and what I've experienced so I was I was sexually abused as a very very young young person by my the guy who adopted me and when I was born they they uh, I came I was clean disease free or whatever but then the doctors in the US told my parents you want to get her checked out for hep B because these people lie you know because they're trying to you know they're trying to tra- make transactions with babies they're trying to off this product and you know you don't want to scuff you know, but all of us, pretty much, most of us have something wrong with us. You know, like we're deaf in one ear or something. You know, that's kind of the deal with adopted kids. So my parents never tested me for hepatitis B. And even though I was screaming my head off in pain for the first early years of my life, they never thought to, they never thought to check that. And then it wasn't until I was five years old that, you know, I had to get you know, checked out because I was going to start school, and that's when they found out that I was uh, that I was positive that I'd been born with hepatitis B, um, which one percent of people from Korea I think have it. And and my my dad stopped abusing me, and it's like if they had just fucking done what the doctor told them, he never would have touched me in the first place. Right. You know. Right. And. And then the crazy thing was, is I was never interested in my adoptive, my, my, my birth parents or Korea at all. Never been interested in Korea. But one of the interesting things about it was that 
when I, I did look up my records just to find out, now that I'm over 18, I can have access to whatever they left, the crumbs they left behind. And I thought, well, I'm interested because now it could benefit my health. I mean, because mm. it would be interesting if my mother had scleroderma mm. and that was the reason she right. gave me up for adoption or whatever. Right. And um, when I got all my, you know, all the files back and all the paperwork back, I looked at the fucking name Ooh. of the person who in Korea stamped my papers to let me be adopted. Their name is Bang Me Young. Bang Me Young. <laughs> okay. And it's like, can the shit right? It's just so, it's so weird. And my, this whole experience has been like that. It's, it's been, I, I, I can't laugh comfortably. No, right, All no. Right. But yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty I mean, it's not, crazy. it's not yeah. funny, but it is kind of funny in the strange. What's kind of like when the, the, that, I think it was, was it a Korean, Japan Airlines or Korean Airlines that crashed in San Francisco? Oh, yeah, right. And those interns <laughs> like slipped in the, you know, we too low, yeah, right. pilots we too low. That was and, awesome. And, oh, well, that, that was pretty I great. mean, those guys should get a scholarship. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Well, uh, I could definitely relate to, to the point you're making about how life often seems to have been written in some way. You know, I often say yeah. stories happen to me with narrative structure. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, you know, these like talking out my ass, yeah, this thing. Right. Um, by the way, you paid 20 bucks for that. You didn't have to pay 20 bucks for that. You sent me 20 bucks. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot about that. Was that. Your... Oh, all right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I I had a printout of uh, like people who had bought the subscription oh, and yeah. I saw your name on That's there. How I was you like, did it. what yeah. the hell's going on, Mandy? <laughs> for people who don't know, Mandy has been working with me uh, to um, line up sponsors for the podcast. And so we've been sort of working together. Recently, so that's why I say, you know, come on, you, you don't have to pay for this stuff to listen to my boring stories. But anyway, people, uh, you know, people who like those stories always say, like, wow, they've got such structure. And it's yeah. like, man, all I did was notice. Mm. That's all I did. Yeah. You know, I noticed there's a structure. I wish I could do something. Like, I'm, I have a hard time with that because I have tried many times to sort of write about my experience, and uh, it just, I'm very blocked. You're still in it. Yeah, I'm still in it. You're still in it. Well, we're you know? all still in the things that we're in. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I think as far as looking at something and seeing that structure, like mm. you're talking about bringing it around back it. to the beginning, yeah. you, the hoop has to close. You know, I think mm. life is life is the spiral, you know? And so we're going around in the same circle, but each time it's different because, mm. you know, we're mm. down a little or up a little, right. depending which, I don't know which way we're going. But, huh. but it's... I used to think it was a circle, and now I see that it's a spiral. It only looks mm-hmm. like a circle mm. when you're in it because you're spinning, you know. Yeah, right. But there's definitely some. There's a linear component to it as well. Yeah. So maybe when you complete a circle, then you'll be able to look back and yeah and describe the trajectory better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, skin. We're talking about skin and Korea, and you're sort of looking back onto that. I mean, also the fact that it happened at 30. If we're going to be, you know, hippy dippy here, you know, they always talk about the return of Saturn when you're 30, hmm. and that that's that's why it's such a important moment in everyone's life. Hmm. You know, around that time is when Saturn. I, now, people listening to this know far more than I do, but I remember, uh, you know, that's something that. 
people who are seriously into astrology talk about a lot. And again, talking about uh, placebo, what's real, what's not real, mm. do crystals do anything, does the yeah. ayahuasca actually do anything? Right. You heard the podcast I did with uh, uh, Dennis McKenna recently. Oh, right? yeah. It was very interesting. That was very interesting. And he yeah. made the point of like, you know, they keep, they're always trying to extract or remove the psychoactive component. So when they're yeah. developing the marijuana pills, Marinol, I think it's called, they're trying to get that out, right? Yeah. And with ayahuasca and other uh, psychedelic drugs, they're trying to remove that component and just keep the stuff that helps yeah. you you be healthier. Yeah. And his point was, no, it's the psychoactive experience that, that is helping yeah. you. That's the point of well, it. Well, I recently I sent you a link about this guy and and his, you know, he had he sort of put it into more terminology, but he had arrived at the same conclusion that I recently came to which is that disease happens from stress right and healing happens from the opposite of stress so like to me it'd be like a positive traumatic experience so okay which he he calls you stress right but clinically that's Mm. just stress Mm. right as far as the medical view goes stress is stress whether Mm. you won the lottery or you had a car accident they're both According to the conventional view, your body doesn't know the difference. Between stress and euphoria? Between positive disruption and negative disruption. Right? Mm-hmm. So in other words, uh, you know, falling in love, I guess, according to this view, is, is stress just as getting divorced is stress. Mm-hmm. And your body... All your body knows is disruption. That there's lo- yeah. You know, which gotcha. sounds like bullshit, especially when you use love as an example, because there are all these other hormones mm. thrown in there, not just right. the stress hormones. Right. But uh, it's interesting. So a positive stressor would balance a negative stressor in this view. Yeah. Right. right. Interesting. Huh. So what would... Because I think of the opposite of stress being rest, sleep, mm. calm, mm. peace, mm. things like that. I think of it as having a, a some sort of great sort of mystical vision almost. Euphoria. Least, that's yeah. that's how it's been presented to me. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And then, so if we look at shamanic societies who have extremely low levels of chronic stress, mm-hmm. um, definitely episodic uh, acute stress. Yeah. You know, oh, there's a snake. Uh, Oh, somebody saw a leopard, you know, outside the village. Um, You know, so-and-so fell and died. Mm. And, you know, but as far as like, what am I going to do when I get old? Or, you know, how how am I going to pay the mortgage? Or, you know, oh, these kids are going to have to go to college. How am I going to do that? And does my wife really love me? And like all these sort of things that plague our day-to-day existence. There's very little of that in hunter-gatherer societies. and, And yet... A lot of what you're talking about, the, the transcendental experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. Hmm, that's that's interesting from a health perspective because in those societies, as I'm sure you know, there are extremely low levels of cancer that's right. or any sort of chronic yep. uh, diseases. Yeah. Hmm. And the, the thing that was interesting to me was because I always intellectually, I, I never, it never 
occurred to me to to doubt that stress is the underlying cause of everything right. but i didn't realize that i had had such a narrow view of stress uh-huh. and Good so point. i started thinking of because you know when i tell you know when my when people tell me oh my daughter's you know because i'm rolling around in a wheelchair so people tell me about you know the sick people in their lives right and um a lot of times it's you know they talk about their kids and i'm like you know they've had they probably have experienced some sort of trauma and people think i mean like oh you've been molested or they yeah. got you know something really devastating like that and I'm thinking like no maybe you moved into a house that had mold in it uh-huh. and you guys didn't know but right. their system was totally taxed because they're still just a little kid right. or maybe um, you know like I was adopted and I was eating this diet that was okay for my Irish family but I my ancestors weren't raised on that yeah. shit so yeah. it really killed me and um, and so that's a serious form of stress yeah. and uh and when you're in it, you need an outsider. You know, when you're in it, you never see what you have. Yeah. And, um, and you never know that, you never really understand fully how things can be otherwise. Mm. But one of the biggest experiences when I really started feeling better was on one of my journeys with the ayahuasca. Um, I was presented with a, with a very cold and desolate cave that just uh, there was an opening in the front or in the top and I was able to see space I was on like an abandoned moon or something mm. like that and when I walked under the uh, the opening it was like a, the pantheon or something when I went under the opening there was it was like something it was like a computer chip in my brain just switched on and I just heard we found her and it was like a bunch of little me's like spiritual me's that came and swarmed me and they closed up the hole above where all this energy had been leaking out. And they just like danced around me and said, you belong, you belong. Hmm. And it was the, it was really, I think the first time um, on a fundamental level that I, that I did feel like I was with my own people. I never, I don't have people. Yeah. And, uh, and ever since then, I feel like I have been operating on, uh, on a slightly higher vibration. Mm. that really deep sense of being isolated from everything is is gone i remember i with my shrink when i was 28 two years before i got sick i went in and i said you know it just occurred to me that i could have a baby that i'm not biologically separate from the rest of the human race like it just occurred to me that i came from a woman's body and um you know and it never occurred to me that that's a weird thing and that uh other people don't have that same experience um what what's your relationship with your adoptive family now family now um well one of my brothers um got really mad at me for suggesting that maybe he called me more than once a year and uh so i haven't heard from him at all um my mother really went off the deep end and uh were you close to her? Was very close to her when when um, it's very odd, you know. When when it came out, my my father ended up confessing um, that he to to abusing me, and uh, and she divorced him. She's like the point oh 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 one percent of women who who left actually who left him. Uh-huh. But it was also. For, it was also kind of the last straw for her. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not like he was this amazing husband and this amazing father who just had this weakness. Like, he was a real dick. Yeah. You know, and um, 
And uh, so I think that was kind of the last straw. It was She was just like, wow, you hurt one of my kids. That's it. You're done. Now I have an excuse and the little evangelical community that I'm surrounded with can't judge me for getting a divorce now. Uh-huh. This is my way out. And how, how, when did that happen? When did I she was, uh, I was 17. Oh, a long and, time after. Yeah, yeah. And, but at that time, um, I became an emancipated minor and I moved out. I moved to, I moved about three and a half hours away and I ended up at Little Rock Central where the Little Rock Nine escorted by the National Guard. Oh, right. <laughs> so that was my high school. That's right. my alma mater. That's Brown versus Board of Education, right? Um, is that the, the famous, were the first black the kids who, who went to the... It was desegregation, and Eisenhower yeah. had to send the whatever The infantry. National Guard, yeah. And the governor stood in front of the doorway yeah. so as to personally, physically not allow the black Block students. Yeah. And that was the entrance. It's the old entrance now. And that's where we used to go get high (laughs) 40 years later, (laughs) skipping creative writing. Did you ever, before your your adoptive father admitted what he'd done, did you ever doubt your memory? Well, what happened was um, I started having these really weird dreams that were impossible. So, like, for example, I had a dream that I was being raped but I was like literally a baby in the dream and we were and I was being raped in a house that we didn't live in when I was a baby so I didn't really know what to do it was so real in a way mm-hmm. it was very metaphorical uh, it turns out but I uh, and I told my brother about it and it just hit visceral with my oldest brother who I do still sort of talk to sometimes who he's he actually did apologize for being a failure of a brother and uh, so with him, it's sort of like, I feel bad for the guy. Um, I have, I actually have a lot more compassion for people than I used to um, for their ability and inability to, to do what needs to be done. Were your brothers adopted as well? No. Why did they adopt you? My mom wanted a girl and she ended up with a little girl who was a little tomboy <laughs> and like girl so she didn't want a little lesbian. yeah <laughs> so I remember I talked to an old friend and he was like you know when we were little when you were a little girl all I could remember is why the hell are they putting her in these dresses do you see how dirty she is all the time she's covered in dirt um so yeah and it was also pretty popular there was another Asian girl in my church who had also uh, been adopted okay. and stuff so it's it was a good kind Christian of, uh, thing to do it was the major export of Korea at the time yeah, yeah. and uh, and you know and it and it is weird because I do wonder what it is about people that does take people into as their own yeah because we have such a separate society now and that's one of the things that I've noticed about the healthcare system is that it's completely dependent on you having someone who cares about you like family Hmm. You know, after you get your wisdom teeth pulled, do you have someone to take you home? Right. Are they going to be able to stick around for a few hours, get you set up once right. you're there, you know? Right. You don't have that. You have to pay for it. You know what that reminds me of? Ugh. Something we all laugh about. Uh, the Japanese, how they rent friends to come to weddings and funerals and mm. birthday parties. And they, they yeah. clap and they sing for you or they'll go to the restaurant. or You know, or... You know, the huh. whole hooker experience, the yeah. girlfriend experience. Yeah. You pay someone to pretend to be yeah. your girlfriend. Yeah. You know, I think about that, but here we are doing something just as ridiculous. You know, when you're in your, you're vulnerable and you need, if you don't have someone, you have to pay someone. Yeah. You know, to come in. Yeah. 
And we do it with our parents, you know, yeah. ship them off to somewhere exactly. and let some stranger, probably an illegal immigrant who can't get paid even minimum wage, you mm-hmm. know, take care of this stuff. Yeah. So, all right. So, you know, I don't want to focus on painful stuff, but I think it's yeah. really important, the point you made, that you, because I think Casilda and I both resonate with this in our own ways, you're the eternal outsider, you know, and you talked yeah. about it earlier when you were with the white kids, they treated you black. When you're the black kids, they treated you white. Here you are in this family, the only family you've known, yeah. which was abusive and horrible in some ways, and the one person you really related to isn't around anymore, and yeah. and it sounds like that situation was horribly painful for you as well. Oh, yeah. And... When I see a, a crazy, you know, homeless lady in the street, um, you know, I, I, I don't uh, view her anymore as, uh, you know, some as just, you know, the as landscape or yeah. part of the background. I think, right. uh, <laughs> I think uh, that was someone's mother, and she could have been the sweetest woman. Yeah. on earth and uh, you know she just ended up with uh, too much yeah and she uh, you know my in a way it's it's I think that when she saw me so sick she just couldn't hold it together because I think that she you know takes some responsibility for it you know I think she was kind of turning a blind eye in some way but she just to what my father was doing but she just didn't ever have proof and then she also had this whole religious organization pushing down on her too and uh, you know she was talked out of divorcing him many many times um, so it's uh, yeah it's it's uh, it's tough when you're when your mom can't figure out a way to stay in her own body and then I look at my relationship with my body and I you know and there's definitely a you know a connection which is one of the things the tea helped me too was to separate our energies because my inner child was completely mingled with with hers. Yeah. And uh, she's, you know, a deeply misguided person in so many ways, but I have yet to meet a, a sweeter human. And I think she had that compassion because I think, you know, she always knew that that was inside her. We always stopped to help homeless people. She never... She always noticed them. I didn't. I didn't care, you know. Um, but she always did, and and now I I I now I feel that too. Um, but again, it's because it's a family member. Yeah. You know, and on a, I was always pretty aggressive. I really did believe I was more of a Malcolm Xer for a long time. Um, than a Martin Luther King. Or, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I really thought some people need a good smack, you know, yeah. things like that. But now I I see a sort of deeper level. I'm able to see, I'm able to have the compassion that all the, you know, Taoists and stuff are talking about. And yeah. I remember when you tweeted that picture of Hitler as a baby. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, yeah. it's just a cute little baby. Yeah. You know, you burp them and feed them just like any other, yeah. you know, little human life. And, uh... Yeah, it's amazing. This morning, uh, you know, we were off on this island. Yeah. You know, and I did my last talk. Or no, it wasn't this morning. It was yesterday morning. And, um... 
I read a, a thing from Sarah Hurdy where she was talking about how in uh, hunter-gatherer societies, the children had constant contact with adults when they wanted it. Yeah. Anytime a baby cried, someone was there and yep. they'd pick them up. Yep. There wasn't this thing, oh, better not touch, it's not my kid. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Like right. now you, you see a kid crying in the park, you're afraid to even... To like yeah, console oh yeah. him because especially as a guy, uh, especially as a guy, yeah. right? You're a monster. That is not a privilege you get. Not in yeah. America. Nobody it's ever... a very strange thing in it's, America. Yeah. Well, it's something I think about a lot too because you know I, I like little kids that yeah. they're fun and they're int- I like little kids. I like animals. You right. Know? They're kind of the same. Right. And uh, and every time I talk to a little kid, I just think, man, I'm lucky because no one's looking at me like I might be a creep. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not a luxury that that men get. So strange. And anyway, the the point she made that that was so striking to me and it's it's one of those points that's staring you in the face but until it's articulated you don't really catch it or I didn't anyway her point was our ancestors you know these kids have constant attention when they want it they've got adults everywhere who are helping them taking care of them playing with them whatever now of course when the kids start squirming you put them down and let them run around yeah. let them do what yeah. he wants right yeah. and there are other kids older younger yeah. you know there's all this mixture um and that kind of attention is what it took for a hunter-gatherer kid to survive. Because if that kid wasn't getting that sort of attention, you put a kid out to sleep eating. alone yeah. in the jungle, it, it's not there in the morning, yep. right? Uh-huh. Now what do we do? Now we put kids alone in a room. Yeah. Shh, be quiet. Let them cry it out. Yeah. You know, let them cry it out. Mm. And then we go back in the morning and the kid's still there, still alive. Uh. But how damaged is that kid? Yeah. And that kid survives, and that kid reproduces. That's what I'm saying. Biologically and psychologically. That's why we need to adopt kids. Adopt kids. That's and, we need to adopt kids. And we need, I think we need to change this reliance on the nuclear family. Fuck, mm-hmm. the, nuclear Fuck the nuclear family. family yeah. We need to live as communities again. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how the hell we're going to do it, but... Well, like, I mean, we're producing damaged people, and they're passing the damage along, yeah. you know? Well, I have a friend who's a pretty... He's a very intelligent financial mind, and uh, he asked me if there was one thing I could change about the planet, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And I said I'd get rid of inheritance. And he's a he's a German, so he's just, you know, he he's like you don't want to pass on to your children, you know, these things? And I said, well, sure I do, but if it means that everyone else is going to throw their shit into the big pot for right. all of our kids hell yeah yeah you know because it's it's you know you, you're born naked you die naked you know you don't take your toys with you and basically what inheritance is is it's just like it's it's telling everyone you can't play with the toys even though you're leaving them on the playground and you're not even going to be there right you know it's yeah. it's it's just hogging the shit <laughs> it's just you're stealing the energy that needs to go back out. You know, when you die, all your energy needs to go back. You ever, you know, Philip Larkin, the po- he's a British poet. He wrote a poem. It's one of the few poems that I, I've ever committed to memory. Let's see if I can remember it. Uh, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had, then add some extra just for you. <laughs> and then there's the, the next stanza is something like, uh, something man passes misery on to man it deepens like a coastal shelf so get out early while you can and don't have any kids yourself <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah Philip Larkin was uh, a lot of fun so uh, now 
I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything, but I I feel like you've turned some sort of corner. Do you feel more hopeful about what's going on? Or, I mean, at least in the sense that you're... Look, honestly, you know, the, the thing I always tell people and the thing I always remember when I'm having an experience with hallucinogens or life in general is you will never outrun your demons. Yeah. All you can do is turn and face them. Mm -hmm. And if you don't turn and face them, they will just ruin you. They'll rip you apart piece by piece, right? And that's stress. And that's stress. And that's, you know, fear of facing your childhood in your case, right? Fear of facing the sense of aloneness Mm -hmm. that you feel, I'm sure, that we all do. But, you know, you... But it's very deep when you don't get those chemicals as a... Yeah, right. Yeah, your your deep. structure is kind yeah. of, and so the trauma mm-hmm. required to get healthy is yeah. like in your spine. It's yeah. not rearranging some shit in your frontal cortex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like your lizard brain has to yeah. get reshuffled somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of you, you have to be very aware of your initial reactions. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're going to be no, stop, yeah. stop. Yeah. This hurts. Because my reaction yeah. also is not love. Yeah, you know, but it, but it's becoming that. You must. You, you've got to have so much fucking anger in you. Yeah. And and anger is toxic. Do you ever? I mean, do you ever feel like the anger is what's coming in your skin? Well, you and, know what's you know? really interesting is I want. I saw this um, pretty interesting. It was like a, an electromagnetic scan or something. It was like a heat scan, and they they scanned people's bodies who were feeling um, different emotions, experiencing yeah. different things. And love was the only thing that opened the three. Dantian, the three heavens in your, you know, the, the brain, the, chakras, the heart, and the, yeah. and the abdomen, and um, and then they showed like depression or something, and it's mm-hmm. like you know, it's it the it's actually instead of the opposite of heat, you get this blue cold mm-hmm. in various, mm-hmm. and they had all the, you know this the spectrum, and anger was the only one that affected the hands. Really, and it was so interesting. It was really? just really interesting to see. Energizes that. the hands because you want to uh, grab, you want to squeeze, you yeah. want to hit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, I remember I told uh, my friend, my friend Carrie came here with a with a, a not an not an ayahuasca shaman, but a different kind of shaman who came to help me just with energy, and she was very helpful. Those mm. were much much more pleasant journeys. Um, but afterwards, I said they took away my hands because I was going to do bad things with them. Mm. And uh, I don't know exactly what that was, but yeah, I was very angry, and I um, I was a little was a little punk, you know, for a really long time. And it's kind of amazing that I have no record. It's really, it's it's mind boggling that I don't have a record. You can have mine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I I think that. Um, my friend actually just asked me, she's like, why aren't you one of those punks, you know? You hung out with kids like that, you know, like the kids we see in Ferguson and stuff, you know, like blunts and, you know, and just yelling at police and stuff. And I said, you know, I think it's because there was always someone in my life who saw that I was better than that, who saw that I could be something. And I believed that. And these other people, they don't. In their whole network, there's no one that's like, I believe in you. I see something in you, kid. Right. Unless it's like, oh, you're going to be a basketball player that we could totally right. siphon off of for the rest of your life. Right. Um, so, I, you know, so in terms of, I'm constantly oscillating between 
I'm clearly getting better and I'm dying. I'm clearly dying, you idiot. Can't you see, <laughs> you know, wake up, get out of your denial. And um, so it's odd, you know, I mean, I've been bleeding internally for like a month now with this, with this ulcer that won't heal. And, uh, and it's horrible. I haven't really been eating. And yet at the same time, I've been feeling a lot better in terms of walking and mobility and I look better, but um, so it's strange to be getting worse and getting better all at the same time. And is it strange or is that the human condition? You know, I, I sometimes feel, I mean, maybe I'm being metaphorical or, or trite here, but I feel like, I feel like that too. Mm-hmm. I feel like, because I'm, I'm more conscious of aging now than I have been ever before in mm-hmm. my life, mm-hmm. which maybe is a symptom of aging itself, right? Yeah. But I feel like my body is slowing and getting, a, you know, less mm-hmm. limber and all that. Mm-hmm. And partly it's, as my wife's over there shaking her head, it's because I don't work out or whatever. But partly it's just numbers, right? But I'm also learning more and getting sharper. And it kind of feels like life is this thing where the minute you really learn to dance, the party's over. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. on the one side, mm-hmm. there's an upswing. On yeah. the other side, yeah. things are coming the to an end. life is short. One way or another. Yeah. No. Oh, Cassie disagrees. Cassie's disagreeing. Well, yeah, because right. I, I can see what you're saying. I feel the same. When I pass through the throwing toxins out, yeah. I pass and I bleed it sometimes. Mm. And I feel the same. It's like clean. Um, so I was just saying that the uh, this this feeling of things getting better and worse at the same time is well for me it's been you know the the process of healing is is seems to be kind of three steps forward one step back kind of kind of deal and also it's just layers yeah everyone said you're just an onion right and you're just gonna peel and every time you peel gonna shed some tears right then you're gonna feel better right and that's kind of what and so now we've finally gotten to the level of my stomach because they've had me on these antacids that are that they suspect causes autoimmune disease you're not supposed to be on them long term and they've had me on them for 20 years what yeah so i stopped taking it when it's because it because when my ulcer started bleeding it didn't do anything for me so i stopped taking it for the first time, because otherwise, if I didn't take it for 24 hours, I was in the ER. So I was really chained to to this medicine, and um, and so I didn't take it for a week. And then, like a week later, my stomach started acting up again, and I took it, and my scleroderma symptoms really flared up. So I'm like, that is a major culprit in this whole damn thing. So being off of that and now having to really heal, because why did they put me on it? Because I was in the middle of Arkansas, eating shit food, smoking stressed cigarettes. Out. Stressed yeah. because people in my high school were sending me death threats, you know? And um, because, you know, there was no Dan Savage yet. There was no Matthew Shepard yet. We were almost the first. We were almost Matthew Shepard. It was almost, you know, me or one of my buddies. And... Uh, it would have been one of my buddies, but they didn't actually kill him. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was really nuts because the thing that people don't understand about these towns like Ferguson and stuff is that, like, my, I went to church with my principal yeah. and my superintendent and my English teacher and they're shitty kids, you know? It's like, it's... There's no getting just, away. You're just in it. It's yeah. awful. And, uh, yeah, and... Um, 
So it was really actually a big relief when I got to Little Rock because they had magnet schools and the people there were, were really cool. I, I really still like the people that I, that I met there. Um, do, you, do you believe in soul? Um, yes and no. Um, I think it's a bit like stress where the, the definition of it tends to be really narrow, so I'm not mm. really into that. But yeah, I think that there's, there is something like that and kind of like the Tao, you know, once you say it, it, it's like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle yeah. seems to be the way spirituality Suddenly works. It's, it's just going to escape your rational abilities. Because you were, so earlier yeah. you were saying that you, you feel like there was always someone who believed you could do better and some yeah. someone you could like latch on to who was yeah. giving you the right kind of energy mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. which i'm sure is true yeah. luckily but i also feel like there was something in you yeah. from the beginning yeah that's coming out yeah. and you know it was in a, a phase because of all the stress and the abuse and the weirdness and the lack of resonance with other people it couldn't come out then, right? But it's coming out now. This person I see in front of me yeah. has always been there. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it's great that you had these people around you, but it's you, mm-hmm. too. There's some, there, this, And it gets back to the beginning of what we were talking about, the narrative structure and yeah. how sometimes you feel like this is all yeah. well, a I'm story ret- that's written somehow. I'm returning to my childhood a lot yeah. in this because when you spend a lot of time alone... Um, you know, you start talking to yourself. I, you know, talk to my dog more than any human, really. Mm. And um, and you start. I start looking at leaves. Like I can stare at leaves for a really long time now, the way I did when I was a kid. And and I remember things like I used to play with my energy when I was a kid. And I can't. I have trouble feeling it now, but I'm getting back in touch with it. And I always heard there was always something else there with me mm. a presence of sorts and mm. whether it, it manifested as a as a voice or just as a feeling of don't go that way or you know don't eat that or whatever it is um, I, I, I always have had some sort of inner guidance but I cut it off when I was a teenager and I totally lost the thread and uh, the tea kind of put me back in touch with that but the, the thing that's really frustrating for me is just that I'm very, I mean, I feel very capable, and I feel like if anyone can beat this disease, it's me. Uh, And if I had a million dollars, I think I'd be totally well, is the thing. What would you do? um, I would hire someone to come help me see Gabor Mate, um, or go to the Amazon to a place that maybe he recommended where there's, you know, more than just a shaman, but maybe also an MD and then medical facilities and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, because I'm... Do probably do need it. Um, I would probably go somewhere where there's no technology for a while, where I'm just doing the just daily no stress, no news, no anyone I know, no social pressure. I can just be naked or whatever and um, be with uh, people who are on that, you know, like you were saying, low stress level mm. um, and eat you know, fresh food and, you know, I mean, I'm on a pretty, I mean, talk about paleo, you know, or whatever. I mean, I'm on a pretty hardcore diet right now. Um, Going back to the ancients. And that's basically what this whole experience has been. It's been me 
going from trying to be this like power lesbian modern techie girl to finding like my little inner primal wild woman that's mm. uh you know very much i think it's i think that there is something in my blood that just goes very back very deep into uh some sort of shamanistic tradition you know i i feel like i I feel like I could give really good advice to someone who is sick. I could tell them exactly what to do to start feeling better. Do you know, you've, I see a book over there about shamanism. Yeah. Or it's called Shaman or something. Yeah, Have you studied shaman. shamanism a bit? Uh, I'm just getting into it because I just started um, realizing that energy work isn't total bullshit. And I did a little bit of energy work on myself after I remembered that I used to play with my energy when I was a kid. Right. And, um, oh, one other thing I would do is I would go to Germany and I would get ozone treatment and I would have them clean my blood and I would have them just saturate my blood with minerals and nutrients, mm. which is what they do over there because they're smart. Mm. Because it's weird. Ozone is illegal in the U.S., but it is huge therapy. Is it o- ozone is, out, is they, an air treatment or something, isn't it? It's ozone, so, yeah. It's gas. Right. You know, but it's illegal because it's poisonous, right? Like uh-huh. like mustard, like chlorine or whatever. But, right. but So in Europe, for example, um, all of the major um, like public pools and stuff, it's all clean with ozone. It's, all, it's, a, it's just an antiseptic. Right. It kills everything. Right. So, like, the whole country of Germany, when you donate your blood, they kill it with ozone. They run it through ozone. L.A., L.A.'s entire water system, ozone. It's clean with ozone. So what's the problem? They don't use chlorine. Huh. It's, it's, it's a cure-all. I mean, it really, you know, they inject it into tumors, and it shrinks the tumors. Because really, again, and this goes back to what we said when we turned it off when um, Cassie was talking but it is about blood not in uh, reaching places and it's not just blood yeah. because that's because blood travels with chi it's because blood travels with oxygen yeah. and nothing can live with oxygen so when you have pure it, yeah. oxygen when you have O3 when you have ozone that is really potent right but it's unstable so you have to have a generator and you know stuff like that yeah. which is it's not illegal to possess but it's illegal to use medicinally really yeah oh, and man. um so and it's really freaky because it's legal people use it in california so like state by state there's some stuff now Mm. but it's only legal in like five states i think Mm. but it's ozone steam saunas Mm. so you sit in there you you know you 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 uh, hermetically seal yourself into some sort of sauna tent and then you put the gas in while you're in there and you're sort of gassing your body and uh stuff that comes out pretty gross really it's pretty gross like everyone no matter who you are and how healthy you've been you're gonna have black shit come out and it's super out of what out of your pores out Out of of your your body and it will not come out of your towels so sit on towels you do not care about because it's like working on a car man you get black sweat from it disgusting it's like tar yeah and everyone does it it's not just like seriously you can Google oh, it, man. Oh my you can God! It. I'm gonna Google it. <laughs> yeah, and, and and but the weird thing is, is like eventually, you're gonna sweat it out, and it's gonna be clean. So the idea is, you're removing all the toxins out of yourself, and after, um, you know, and then you can maintain, you know, after you go back to your regular life, your regular toxic life again, you know. Right. But for me, what was interesting is that after I stopped taking that stupid antacid, no more black stuff. Really? Yeah, it's pretty clean now. 
So that stuff was really messy. Well, have you have you done a flotation tank thing? I haven't because mobility wise, I don't really think I could get in there. Ah. I think it'd be a little tricky. To, you need assistance to get in and out. It'd have to be like a standing one where it's just really. Oh, you couldn't easy lie to, lie back. I down? could, but I can't crawl into anything. You know. Yeah. Well, some of them are big. I mean, they, you hmm. stand up in it. There's you know? only one here, and I think it's oh, one really? of those like it's like the size of a sleeping bag. You just kind of really. To, yeah. In Boston, there's only one. It's. Man, if people want to make some money, that's uh, what to do out it's here. It's huge. There's just this big flotation conference in Portland, and apparently it's just going through the roof. People are... Well, you know, if you're... I mean, the thing is, is if you have money, look what's going on in Europe, make it happen on the West Coast, then 10 years later, make it happen here. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. business model. Right. That's and how it so travels, slow. you know? Because, yeah. like, weed is just being legalized here. Right. You know, but of right. course, you can't get our dispensaries together because yeah. there's too much infighting. Yeah, but um, yeah, and I, but I I've been interested in that. That's that's been on. My well, the list. first time Cassie did it, I had to help her because her her neck was really she messed up. Her, yeah, and so I had to like sort of lie her yeah, down, right. you know. But then once she was down, then, then she it's was okay. fine. Yeah, and I mean especially if yeah, you're having body pain. Nothing feels better than pain. floating. Yeah. Well, you don't even yeah. feel like you're floating. Yeah. That's the thing. You're mm. just suspended like in space. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. It's uh. It's, it's it's the absence of any feeling at all. You have no weight on your body. It's amazing. Mm, mm, it's mm. a very interesting interesting experience. Yeah. I mean, you heard my well. That's an interesting. That's another Kevin. thing too. Is that the number one therapy for people with my disease is massage and pool therapy. Right. But of course, insurance doesn't pay for massage. Right. You know, even though massage is in every single medicinal system ever, ever. known. Ever. There's like hieroglyphics, man, of yeah. massages, you know? And every it's mother like, massages her baby. You know, Cassie yeah. shows me how they massage babies in Africa, which is really yeah. nice and very rigorous. Mm-hmm. But you see the babies lying well, there. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah do it well, again. Well, I mean, Tweena, I got a Chinese guy, and man, I mean, it's it's pretty brutal. People can't even... My <laughs> friends, they're like, I'm not going to watch because it's really bad. Like, I'm, it's really pretty violent. Yeah. But, you know, but it's necessary if it works it works yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean i would have the the thing is too is that even the things like physical therapy that the insurance pays for again it assumes that you've got a way to get there yeah you got someone to take you got someone waiting you got someone to help you undress you got someone to help you get out of your bathing suit you know and it's like and then it's like well what do you do and then they only and then if they give you money they give you money for the person to take you there and the person to take you back so it's like yeah Who's going to accept a job where I work for a half an hour, do something else for an hour and a half, and then come back to work for another half an hour? It's like, yeah. It, again, it assumes that there's someone in your life yeah. who can just who's just devoted to you, the way a family member is. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's uh, so that's so that's a lot of anger too that I have that I've been dealing with, and just sort of because I'm like, man, why isn't anybody fucking helping me? You know, and I just realized that it's it's because they don't understand because we hide people like me and we don't come and we don't interact with people like me. And also because everyone is so fucking stressed. They're yeah. not eating right. You know, and it's like you said, when your body feels good, everything's good. Yeah. You know, you can handle anything. And that's the thing people don't understand about people in pain. Mm. When you're in pain and you're managing that, it's like, you know pushing a heavy boulder all day and you're like halfway up the hill for the 10,000th time that day and someone's like hey 
you want some orange juice? And you're like, not right now, you know? And they're like, geez, I was just trying to be nice. Thought you might want some juice, you know? But they have you have they have no idea that your all your resources are into this. Try you're just really trying not to completely freak the fuck out. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and people, you know, they have their own pain, and and I think everyone's kind of on the verge, really, in our society, of collapsing the way I have, and part of what I want to do in a way it's kind of like what do I do now if, you know if I'm going to live then you know because everything was prepared you know I mean I, it seems like yesterday that I was you know dictating my will to someone from a hospital bed and now it looks like maybe I'm going to find my way out and you know and if I do then you know I, I have no choice but to be one of those fucking crazy people that's like I healed myself and you can too you know <laughs> except I'm not like some I'm not full of shit and the, the <laughs> thing that yeah. really infuriates me most about this whole health situation is that it's only for people with money yeah you know you've got all these people talking about spirituality and energy work and all this shit and then they're like yeah I mean I can you know I'm in touch with the source for 120 bucks an hour and it's like yeah. well what the hell is that you yeah. know we need we need I want to live in a non-profit society that's yeah. what I want right you know and um, and I want to make a I want to find a way to help people without you know stressing out their pocketbooks and, well one of the big sort of things that I've learned recently actually is how my experience connects to maybe not the universe but at least to the planet hmm. and it seems like, especially right now, we're in a really tense time. We've got ISIS being a huge stick. We've got Shit. Israel and Palestine, you yeah. know, being huge dicks to each other. And you've got, you know, Ferguson. And everything seems to be kind of really intense right now. And I sort of realized that I think of my body in a way as like a microcosm of the planet because one of the reasons I think I'm so sick is because I, I energetically, um, I'm so sensitive to other people's energy. I mean, I can do really good impressions of people very quickly. I can just nail people and I've always been able to do that. It's mm. like I just have people's number most of the time, unless it's a really hot chick, then I'm like, <laughs> 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 um, but you know, but then from my background and looking at the planet, it just becomes very clear to me that we need to have a family-oriented mindset mm. for the planet. Right. Because we think of people as like, just this idea of, oh, poor black people in Ferguson or Arabs, you know, they're just naturally violent. They just like to fight. They love this shit, you know, and no one, and these, these people with this mindset don't really see that everybody wants the same thing. Right. And they don't look at like, well, why are they looting? Let's see, because who wants to do that? Nobody wants to ruin and destroy their own neighborhood. What, you know, there has to be, but if you assume there's no logic and you just dismiss it like, oh, bitches are crazy or whatever it is, then you never see the pain behind it. Like with a lot of guys who are like, oh, this bitch was crazy. And it's like, well, why do you think that is? Maybe right. because of the guys you date. So you're hating the person, you know. The victim. You're hating yeah. the, the, the person at McDonald's or whatever who's serving you the food, but maybe it's the boss that right. you're really hating, you know, or it's the thing behind the thing. Yeah. And, you know, and when I, uh, my friend, uh, a friend of the family, actually, she, her son, um, 
recently was put in jail uh, for um, they found child porn on his computer and that dude is busted and you know when I saw he was on the news and all this shit and I saw the picture and I hadn't seen him since I was a kid I saw the picture of him and just you know from a from a far away standpoint it's like you disgusting fucker you piece of shit asshole you know Mm -hmm. like ruining society but then on another side it's like look at how much pain that guy's in holy shit man I grew up in your world I know how it is you know and like and uh, and you know and it, it just adds a dimension and I just think of how you know my initial reaction was fuck that guy fuck him kick him out you know why are you gonna help him why are you gonna support him just he's a loser but you know but she's just like he's my son and I just thought, you know, if we could do that for the Palestinian people or for the Israelis launching the rockets, if we can see them as like the way we would care about uh, a member of our own family who was going in the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, you don't beat, I mean, some people beat their kids in the head, but that's, it's just like training a dog or whatever it is, yeah. you know. It's, you want a mean dog? You know, abuse that's how you, you yeah. react with that sort of aggression and that sort of fire with fire mentality but if you know and it's 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 not like a, I mean in a way it is kind of a kumbaya let's love everyone type thing but it's realistic in the fact that you know you can't there has to be an element of compassion because the the thing that stopped me from being a complete punk was people starting to treat me with some damn respect mm. and people starting to go out of their way to show that they cared a little bit yeah. and not fucking me over every time I turn my back and once you can start to see that that's in people that's also in people along with all the other bullshit uh, I asked about shamanism mm. because you were you know this whole conversation is about in many ways about you being displaced in, in all these different worlds right and trying yeah. to find yourself I'm in a meta world right yeah and, you know, here's Casilda sitting over here, half Muslim, half Hindu, Indian parents raised in right. Africa, then shipped off to Portugal and yeah. medical doctor. And, you know, like all like now a she's a million languages in her head and with, yeah. with an American Being pagan dope fiend. And, you know, now in Portland, it's like and we're all like, wow, everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and, you know, with Casilda, as I said, like. I have always thought of her as a shaman with an MD, right? Mm-hmm. And you're a shaman as well, mm-hmm. and because you are, I'm a professional patient. Well, <laughs> no, you are this. moving between worlds, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. understand yeah. the pain of the displaced. You understand mm-hmm. yeah. what it's like to look at. You know, that's what we were saying. About, you were saying about homeless people. You see some psychotic on the street. You you kind of get it. You sort of know where yeah. that person is or yeah. at least how they got there it's not where they started right yeah and so in shamanism there are two types of shaman there are those who choose to be shaman they're lesser shaman they're mm-hmm. like someone who just wants to be a healer because that's what their father did or their mother or whatever mm-hmm. but the higher shaman is the shaman who is called to shamanize has no choice in the matter and it's torture nobody wants this right mm. but the person who's called to shamanize, if they get through it, if they get through to the other side, their healing power is extraordinary. That's pretty interesting because 
that explains a lot of the messages I've been getting from the tea. Right. Yeah. Now you're in a tough spot because normally in a shamanic society you've got the entire society supporting you. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, not the opposite. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they want your healing power. They want you to get through. Sure. This. Because you're going to give it back. Because yeah. you're going to give it back in spades. Yeah. Right. But here you are, and Casilda, and a lot of people being yeah. called to shamanize. Yeah. You have no choice. If you refuse it, you die. Exactly. That's the thing. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. That's what that's they said. That's what they right. told me. Yeah. yeah. If you refuse yeah. to accept. Yeah. The responsibility, your physical body dies, right? Yeah. So you go forward or you die. Yeah. But normally you've got a whole That's community supporting you, and yeah. here we are, you know, and you're alone. That's it's funny. it's incredible. Yeah, because they did. The, one of the interesting things that came out of it was that if you're either way, I'm done being Mandy. Right. That's it. And I was like, oh, God, am I going to be one of those douches that's like, oh, call me like Cassandra. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm whatever. a goddess. Not, not like Cassandra. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was just like, no, like you, you had your time being Mandy and, and Mandy got sick and she died. You know? Listen, I would love to keep talking no, for hours, yeah. but our ta- taxi is going to be here in four minutes. Oh, okay. And I, I'm getting yeah. a little stressed out. about that. Yeah. Um, and that's but you know what? Health. This, I mean, the, the thing that's indeed. the thing that's so cool about this podcast is that it is a community. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Let Let's see what happens. We We have a community, and a lot of people listening to this are gonna be very interested. And maybe we can like uh, continue the conversation over Skype. Or yeah, that'd next be time great. We're in the same place at yeah. the same time. Yeah, that sounds which, great. Could even be Mexico or Peru. Who knows? Yeah, I think that would be more exciting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.